The future of 800,000 immigrants rests in the hands of a divided Congress. Lawmakers face deadlines to take action. So what's our job? Our job is to monitor the progress of potential DACA legislation as the deadlines come closer, while diving deeper into the issues of deferred deportation and illegal immigration. You're listening to an In Focus special report podcast, Deadline DACA. I'm Andrew Nicola. And I'm Adrian St. Clair. Welcome to the show. The fight over DACA continues here in Washington, but the battle lines haven't moved since we last spoke. So in this episode, we're going to take a little detour from DACA and explore the details of Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, which, according to America's Voice founder Frank Sherry, is... The most important issue that most people have never heard of. To be honest, I haven't heard about TPS until just a few weeks ago. I know, neither have I. But I've learned a lot about it in the past couple weeks. In fact, just this past week, I went to a TPS benefit concert with Nicaraguan singer Luis Enrique Mejia Godoy. That's where I met Millie Rivas and her husband Edwin Murillo, who came here from Dallas to fight for TPS. We are concerned about the TPS ending because uh, we have some life in this country. We buy a house. We have two girls. They are uh, only 10 years old, only 4 years old. We have uh, 20 years in this country. And at a rally in front of the White House, I met Arizona resident Yesenia Chavaria, who also came to Washington to lobby for the TPS program. here defending our program because we have it too many years with this program. We have families here. We're living in this country for more than 20 years. So, and now we, we feel like an attack. These people join scores of others who, like them, have had protective status for over a decade. But still, you might be wondering what TPS is and why we're talking about it on our DACA podcast. Here's Frank Sherry again. There's a lot of attention, as there should be, to the plight of dreamers who have DACA and what's going to happen now that the Trump administration has ended DACA and uh, the question of whether Congress is going to act to resolve that crisis. But there's another crisis that is looming and is upon us in a matter of days. We thought it might be helpful to compare DACA and TPS to help you better understand the issue. One thing that's important to think about is that there are a lot of similarities between the DACA population and the TPS population. Um, in terms of, again, the fact these individuals have been following the rules or are working, living here lawfully. That's Tom Jowitz with the Center for American Progress. He talked about TPS with Frank Sherry on a conference call just last week. So let's start from the beginning. What is TPS? So TPS stands for Temporary Protected Status, which means exactly what it sounds like. It temporarily protects certain groups of people from being deported. Which is also what DACA does, but as we know, DACA was established to protect children who were brought here into the U.S. illegally before they turned 16. The program allows recipients to get work permits, attend school, etc. While most come from Mexico, DACA recipients come from a handful of countries, including El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Peru, and South Korea, just to name a few. And DACA can apply to people from any country. And another common thing between these two programs is you have to identify yourself to the government. You have to apply for the status. The TPS program is really similar to DACA in that it provides that protection to certain groups of people and allows the same rights that DACA recipients have. However, TPS protects a more specific group than DACA. It was intended to protect certain foreign nationals that were 
already in the United States uh, from being returned to their home countries because of conditions that existed there. Uh, in short, it was unsafe for them to, at the time, return to, uh, to their home countries as a result of uh, increased risk of violence, disease, or death. So that was Carlos Guevara, Senior Policy Advisor of Immigration Policy at Unidos U.S., he was on the call with Frank Sherry and Tom Jawitz to explain to reporters what he called the nuts and bolts of TPS. So essentially, TPS only protects immigrants from 10 countries, and each country's status has to be extended every 6 to 18 months. And with each extension, TPS holders from that country can re-register for protection, which includes paying fees, submitting paperwork, and undergoing biometric scanning. Here's Tom Jawitz again. These individuals are probably the most thoroughly and most frequently vetted people in the country today. The Central American TPS holders in particular have turned in their fingerprints, they've passed background and security checks every 18 months for the last nearly 20 years. DACA recipients also have to go through a similar application process every two years. DACA was implemented in 2001, so it's a 16-year-old program that's now on life support ever since Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced it was being rescinded in September. TPS has been around for much longer. It was established almost 30 years ago in 1990. So there are TPS holders who have been renewing their status for years. The people I met, Millie, Edwin, and Yesenia, were all from El Salvador, and they've been here for at least 17 years. So what's changed? Why are they worried now? So like DACA recipients, TPS holders are facing deadlines of their own. The protective status of Honduras and Nicaragua are up to expire on January 5th, and the status of Haiti is set to expire on January 22nd. So how do they find out if their protection is ending? Yeah, so that's a good question. The U.S. government is required to give a 60-day notice of its decision to either extend or terminate the status of, of a country. And TBS holders like Millie, Edwin, and Yesenia will take the decision on Honduras and Nicaragua as the sign for what will happen when the other deadlines come around. So that means that decision is coming soon, right? Right. They're all anticipating a November 5th announcement. So what could happen if the program ends? So that's another way that TPS and DACA differ. We know with DACA uh, that because of the arbitrary October 5th deadline that the administration gave for applying for renewals, around 22,000 individuals will lose protection over the next five months. Once March 5th comes, that's going to happen to more than 1,000 DACA recipients on average every day until the last person loses protection. Um, all those same things apply to this TPS population as well. But the key difference is that when the hammer drops on TPS, it's going to drop all at once. So we know that DACA covers about 800,000 people. But if the hammer drops for TPS, how many people would be at risk? According to numbers from U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, there were almost 440,000 TPS holders in the country as of the end of 2016. TPS holders are generally older than DACA recipients because they had to apply for the protective status within a certain window after the country was designated. Usually parents, yeah, they are the, the TPS holder and, the, and their kids, they have DACA. But if these people have been renewing their status for years seemingly without any concern, then what's the difference? Why are they concerned now? Well, there is one major difference. Are you ready? Are you ready? We will build a great wall along the southern border. The problem right now, right now is six months ago, the Secretary of Homeland Security, John Kelly, uh, said the TPS program is ending. And also, TPS holders are concerned that with their deadlines approaching, the conversation about their program 
has been overshadowed by all the DACA talk. Because most of the people, they talk about DACA, but they don't know that it's another group, you know, like TPS, that is in need too of support. So which countries currently have the status right now? Like we mentioned earlier, there are 10 countries that have the TPS designation. Are you ready for the list? I'm ready. The countries include El Salvador, Honduras, Haiti, Nicaragua, Nepal, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. And according to the Center for American Progress, Hondurans, Haitians, and Salvadorans account for more than 90% of TPS holders in the U.S. So how does a country become designated? Under the law enacted in 1990, the Secretary of Homeland Security decides whether or not a country will be designated with temporary protected status based on three criteria. Which are? The first consideration is the fact that there might be an armed conflict that threatens an immigrant's safety. Guevara explains. So here, you might want to consider the countries of Yemen and South Sudan. Which we should point out have been racked with warfare and fighting for years. Right. So the second consideration is that an environmental disaster has disrupted the living conditions of a country, and so an immigrant cannot return to their home. And as part of this one, the country must have requested protected status for immigrants from their country. So in this context, you might want to consider the countries of Honduras, Nicaragua, and El Salvador, uh, which were designated after uh, natural disasters in those countries, hurricanes primarily. So what's the third consideration? So this last one is a bit of an umbrella term. A country can be designated if there are extraordinary and temporary conditions according to the law, that prevent immigrants from returning to their country safely. And Haiti has been designated because of this specific consideration. And the reason why Haiti is under this prong as opposed to environmental disaster, you might be asking, is because um, in the original designation, the Haitian government did not affirmatively request for uh, temporary protective status for its nationals. Jawitz emphasized another role of TPS. The idea of TPS is not just to protect individual people from returning to danger, but also to provide uh, the countries that need to rebuild with a bit of time and access to additional resources in order to speed up their recovery. Remittances or money sent back to a country by immigrants. Remittances from TPS holders in the United States back to those countries play an important role in that process, particularly when U.S. foreign aid is on the decline. So essentially, for decades, the U.S. government has been protecting immigrants at particular risk from being deported back to their home country. But immigrants also send money back to their home countries, which can help build these countries back up. Remittances from the U.S. to El Salvador, Honduras, and Haiti make up more than 15% of the GDPs for each of those three countries. That was Jawitz again, citing findings from a recent study by the Center for American Progress. So tell me about this concert you went to. Yeah, so it was a really interesting concert. Everything was in Spanish, um, from the hosting to uh, the music to the musicians. So I can't really tell you what people were saying, but the audience was so excited about the the musician. Again, he was a famous Nicaraguan singer um, named Luis Enrique Mejia Godoy, if I said it correctly. He's a famous singer in uh, Central America. And this is a special music, music for people that so, sometimes in Central America, the problem is the poverty, discrimination, or the m- military uh, problems in the Central America. 
and um, he was just really passionate. He would tell jokes, and the crowd would just bust up laughing. And then um, Edwin, and who I talked to, uh, he was the host of the concert, and then he also had a speech at the White House rally that I went to. So did you like get to learn a bit more about Edwin and his wife? I did, yeah. So I talked with Edwin and Millie after the event, and they talked about their life in Dallas. Edwin and Millie are just two of over 200,000 Salvadorans in the United States. Um, and Salvadorans are actually the majority of TBS holders in the country. And they told me about their two kids. So are their kids also protected? So their kids are American citizens, but Millie and Edwin are both protected under TPS. So they worry about what's going to happen if they lose their protection. He came here when he was 20, now he's 40. So 20, very, you know, now that he is all getting old, they says, now we're going to send you back. So you gave us the best time of your life, so it's time for you to go back. So we have kids, they need us, they are uh, American citizens, so... They cannot just go and say it's temporary. So that's another issue with TPS is what will happen with the children of TPS holders. So, so this is a family really issue. It's yeah. a big issue inside <laughs> the family. And according to the Center for American Progress numbers, there are just over 273,000 U.S.-born children with parents from El Salvador, Honduras, and Haiti who have TPS. And like I said, I talked with Edwin again at the TPS rally in front of the White House. And he said this is his second visit to Washington, D.C. But lawmakers are finally starting to understand the issue because it affects families. And in fact, there were young kids right there in front of the White House fighting for TPS with everyone else. So you were saying earlier that you met Yesenia at this rally, right? Right. So what else did you talk to her about? So Yesenia's husband is also a TPS holder, and so is her 21-year-old son, but her 12-year-old daughter is an American citizen. So she, like Edwin and Millie, is also worried about her family. We feel blessing with this program, but now imagine how our families feel when they don't know what can happen. Our kids, they feel sad. And they say, Mom, what can happen later? What can happen and we and they not less our stake here? These people are pleading with the administration to consider the fact that they have been living and working and paying taxes and mortgages for 15 to 20 years. Yesenia said her husband has worked at the same job in Arizona for 17 years and Edwin owns a heating and air conditioning business in Dallas. Again, like referencing that report from the Center for American Progress, if we lose these these TPS holders from these three major countries of El Salvador, Honduras, and Haiti, we could actually lose about $164 billion from our U.S. GDP over the course of 10 years. Like DACA recipients, Edwin said he and other TPS holders feel like the U.S. is their home country. This is a phenomenon. Every people in our job, they are thinking we are resident or America, a U.S. citizen. They don't know that nothing about the well, what is TPS because we are the same with every family. So they will continue to try to get lawmakers' attention. But we are doing our part to tell them we are here and we need their help. We can go talk to with the president, but they are close. I asked Edwin if he thought he would be able to talk to the president. No, not for now, but I think so. He, he can hear us. <laughs> 
how do you feel about the deadlines that are coming up in November? Are you hopeful that TPS will be extended? Totally. I hope so, but that is not the point. We need to uh, we need to path for residents. We need to permanent solution for us for our family. I don't like uh, come to the sea every year for the same thing. Until next time, the clock is ticking on Deadline DACA. And TPS. Music in this episode was by Roddy Nickpour, and clips were used from the TPS Benefit concert with Luis Enrique Mejia Cadoy. Special thanks to Cronkite News and Arizona PBS. And as always, a special thanks to our editor, Steve Crane, who always shows so much support and enthusiasm for the podcast. Hey, 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 hey.